Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on the children as they go out to their ministries. We pray you bless them that they would know the peace of your presence, the joy of knowing you and being known by you. And Father, we pray that you would speak afresh into our hearts and lives to bring, as, we, as you desire, Lord, as you desire to bring freedom and healing and joy and fullness of life. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us in Christ, that we are with you, that your longing and desire is for us to flourish and to have fullness of life. And so, Lord, by the name of Jesus, through the Word of God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring life and freedom afresh in us as we look to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So, um, up on the screen, hopefully you see a photograph of a young Ruby Bridges. And uh, I just want to start with telling a little bit of the background of that photograph from a great book by Pete Gregg called How to Pray. And if you would like a sort of companion book to this series about Hearts on Fire, all about prayer, I'd really recommend this book. There's also great online resources, the prayer course, free online, if you just look at uh, prayercourse.org and uh, free videos on there, really, really good resource. But here's the story of Ruby Bridges. At the age of six, Ruby Bridges was volunteered by her mother to become the first African-American girl to attend an all-white elementary school in New Orleans. Each day, she had to be escorted to and from the school by up to 25 federal marshals to protect her from the crowd of angry protesters at the school gates. One woman would regularly scream death threats at Ruby. Another protester held a black doll aloft in a coffin. Every parent pulled their child out of the school. Having braved the crowd's hatred, Ruby would sit all alone in an empty classroom. She was taught by Barbara Henry, the only teacher willing to offer her an education. In her break, she recalls wandering the school, looking for all of the other children. Images of the tiny girl so smartly dressed and clutching her school bag, guarded by suited men twice her size, polarized America. Watching this tragedy unfold, child psychologist Robert Coles offered Ruby counseling. Once a week, he sat in the humble home she shared with her four siblings and her parents, who could neither read nor write. You looked like you were talking to the people in the street on your way into the school yesterday, Robert asked Ruby on one occasion. Did you finally get angry with them? Were you telling them to leave you alone? No, doctor, replied Ruby politely. I didn't tell them anything. I didn't talk to them. Well, who were you talking to? The little girl stared at him. I was talking to God. I was praying to God for the people in the street. You were praying for them? But Ruby, why were you praying for them? Her eyes widened. Well, don't you think they need praying for? Robert Coles was lost for words. He regained his composure. What do you say when you pray for them, Ruby? Oh, I always pray the same thing, said Ruby. Please, God, try to forgive these people. Even if they say these mean things, they don't know what they're doing. This morning, I want to talk a bit about reconciliation and forgiveness. And 
This is our second service of the year in which we're particularly focusing on, in the midst of our communion service, healing. And the Bible tells us that paramount to God's kingdom, which brings healing and brings mercy, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is utterly paramount in the kingdom of God. And I believe that the more fully that we step into forgiveness, the more fully we will see physical healing happening in miraculous ways throughout this place and beyond. Because the Bible tells us that forgiveness and healing are inextricably linked. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies the desires of your heart with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, forgiveness and healing again and again are mentioned side by side because they are so closely linked. And so we have that wonderful passage that Mark read for us this morning from Matthew chapter 18, the account Jesus tells, the parable about this king who wants to make sure all the accounts are settled, that all those debts that are owed to him are reckoned with. And so he has this day of reckoning, and one of the servants is brought into him, and the servant owes him a vast quantity of money. And the servant pleads with him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Because he knows that what will happen is that he and all of his family and his wife, everything he has will be taken from him as he is thrown in prison. And so he pleads for mercy. He pleads for clemency. And he says, I will pay you back. And then he goes out and he grabs someone by the lapels. He doesn't just wander into them. He looks for them. He grabs them. He chokes them. And he demands that what the small amount that they owe him, that they would pay him. And that other servant refuses. And he, he, has the, he has the man thrown into prison until he can pay back everything that he owes. Now, I used to, used to wonder what good would it do if someone offers or owes you money and then you have them thrown in prison until they can pay the debt back? But that's because we have a different perspective, thankfully, on what it means to be in prison. Today, if you go into prison, it's all about restoration of your character. In those days, if you were put in debtor's prison, it was all about restoration of money. And so, in those days, and this happened in our own society up until not too long ago, if you were put in debtor's prison, you were put there until you could pay back what you owed financially. Now, there were no savings accounts in banks in Jesus' day. So if you had treasurer money, the safest place to put it was in a hole in the ground. You didn't put it in your house because houses could be dug in. You could dig in through a wall with a spade. You could dig in through a roof. There was no point putting your valuables in your small property, which often just had one room. And so you would find a place, perhaps in your own field, perhaps in wilderness land, 
and you would bury your treasure. That's why there are parables he just tells about someone stumbling on treasure in a field because people frequently put their treasure in a hole in the ground in the field. So whenever you were put into debtor's prison, tormentors were hired to torture you to jog your memory as to where you had buried your treasure. It's horrific. But the reason why Jesus tells the parable, people would have understood totally that if you were in debtor's prison, you would be tormented and tortured until you were then remembered where your treasure was, you'd be brought out and you yourself would dig up where the treasure was and you would hand over what had been put in the ground. And so you were put in prison until you would pay back everything that you owed. And then Jesus at the end of this parable says this stark and startling line. That's the way your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. The Lord allows torment to happen in our lives when we refuse to pay the debt of forgiveness to those around us. What are some of the torments that God our Father would send to us? Tension, fear, guilt, anxiety, depression, inner conflict. I'm not saying that all of these things happen because of unforgiveness in our lives. What I am saying, as Jesus says, is that often that's the case. There was one man, if you remember, he was crippled, and the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his father? And Jesus said, neither. This man's illness is caused, is caused by the brokenness in the world. There are two, two ways that we can become broken. By the overflow of the brokenness of the world. If you notice in this parable, there are many other people who are affected by the unforgiveness that is central in the midst of the parable. And so the man owes the debt, but he and his wife and his children are all going to be sold into slavery. The other servants who notice the unmerciful servant choking the other servant for money, they are outraged. Unforgiveness affects a wide spectrum of people. Just think of the Northern Irish conflict. Just think of world wars. Just think of the millions of people who are drawn into conflict and death and suffering because in the center people disagree. And what Jesus is telling us is this. Whenever we are involved in a relationship which has bitterness and resentment in it, there are a wide field of people who are going to be affected. So brokenness comes from the world, but brokenness also emerges inside us. Because when you and I bury resentment or harbor attitudes of unforgiveness, then we effectively bury toxic waste in our own souls. 
And the spiritual consequences of that are dire, not just for this life, but for the life to come, which is why our Heavenly Father allows tormentors to come to us and to provoke us to dig up the debt of unforgiveness that we have buried in the ground. What does he send? Guilt, fear, brokenness, anxiety, depression. Why? Because our physical health is nothing compared to our spiritual health. It's nothing compared to our eternal destiny. We would think, why would our Father send us things like that? Why? Because our very soul is at stake. Have you buried toxic waste in your own soul? Is there any person or organization with whom you are saying, I will not give up my bitterness. I will not release my resentment because I have been deeply hurt. I am not diminishing the fact, nor is the Lord, the depth of hurt that someone has caused you by their words or by their deeds. But every time we say that in the presence of Jesus Christ, I imagine he stands there with holes in his hands and holes in his feet and a hole in his side, and he says, I know all about your pain. There is nothing about pain that you can, that you can say to me that I do not know. Our Heavenly Father longs to forgive us. Jesus Christ hanging on the cross tells us that. This morning, broken bread, poured out wine, the blood and the body of Christ represented among us, is saying to us, is declaring to us, I know all about your pain. But if you bury your pain, it will bury you. Is there a face? Is there a name that comes to mind today? I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring faces and names to every one of us because I, I know that every one of us suffers in this area. And that face, that name needs to be released to God because God, as this parable shows, is there and He's willing to forgive. He's willing to release. He's willing to cancel a debt. Even though the, the figures here are astronomical. It's equivalent to this first servant having a 600,000 pound debt and the master saying, it's canceled. And then that servant going out and choking someone for one pound that they owe. There's a factor of 600,000 in this parable. In fact, six. 10,000 bags of gold that Jesus mentioned today would be four billion pounds in today's money. And the figure that the second servant owed is a few thousand pounds. 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents. One bag of gold was 20 years, no, 200, no, sorry, one, my ambassador has, has departed from me. <laughs> the debt the first servant owed is equivalent to 200 
thousand years work. 200,000 years of work. So what's Jesus saying to us? The debt cannot be paid. There's no way to pay the debt. And so the servant says, be patient, I'll pay you back. It's a hollow promise. There is no chance of paying the debt. Because only Jesus can pay the debt. He is the one mediator between God and man. But he has come, he has lived, he has died for us. He has paid the price. And in, in Jesus Christ, God the Father is offering us forgiveness. And the way we receive that forgiveness is with open hands. We put out our hands and we say, everything, Father, you're giving us in Jesus Christ, I receive from you. The way we spiritually put out those open hands is through forgiveness. It's through asking for forgiveness, confessing our sin, and through forgiving other people. The same hands with which we receive forgiveness, we give forgiveness. So whenever we refuse to give forgiveness, we also refuse to receive forgiveness. It's like having two doors of a room, one that opens us up to all the healing and the forgiveness and the mercy of God, and another door by which we give our debt of forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Either do both doors are open or both doors are closed. Are you willing to forgive from your heart everybody who has ever wronged you? That's what baptism is all about. It's about dying to all the old ways of living and rising up to new life. And in the new life, we harbor no resentment and no grudges we freely give forgiveness just as we've been forgiven. We're going to have an opportunity for prayer in a moment during this song. And I just want to encourage us in that place as the Holy Spirit brings to mind situations or people who have caused us hurt. I want to encourage you for the sake of your own soul, for the sake of your own health, and for the sake of those around you, in your family and in your life, to offer forgiveness. If you choose to hold and withhold forgiveness from another person, it's not only you who will suffer, your family will suffer too. And also, it's most likely that your health will suffer. There are three areas of physical health that I've seen again and again affected whenever we withhold forgiveness. In our head, in our heart, and in our stomach. I'm not saying that every ailment in those areas in our body is affected by our unforgiveness. 
but often it's the case. Just during the week, a friend and I met together and we hadn't planned this, a Christian friend and I, in the midst of the conversation, we confessed our sins to each other. And we talked about how sometimes we find it very difficult to forgive those who have hurt us. And then we prayed for each other. And in the midst of that prayer, there was a profound sense of the presence of God. There were wonderful verses in James's letter where he talks about the gift of confession. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Sometimes we pluck that verse out of context. The power of the person who is righteous, the power of their prayer comes just after that person has confessed their sin. So think of the way healing will flow if we as a family are people who are readily forgiving and readily confessing our sins. Because in that, there is freshness in the right relationship with God. Then when we pray for other people, the mercy and healing of God flow in a brand new way. There's three ways we can confess our sin. One to God, one to the person we have wronged by going to them and saying, I am sorry. Not then going on to say, but let me tell you why it was difficult for me, but just to say, I'm sorry, and not to say anything else, and not to expect the person just to jump to forgiveness straight away and then blame them for not forgiving you. And the final way is to go to someone who's not involved in the broken relationship. Go to a mature Christian person and say to them, can I tell you where I struggle to be like Jesus Christ? To have a confidential, trusting place to share something like that is extremely powerful in the kingdom of God. If you don't have anyone that you can share that with, please seek to find someone. Because when we confess our sins in that way, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Frederick Buchner says, to confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. So God the Father is offering mercy for everything. The way we receive that is by confessing our sins to Him, to the person we've wronged, and to one another. That opens the floodgate of forgiveness. And the way we receive all God has for us is by forgiving everybody around us who has wronged us. God our Heavenly Father is here today by His Holy Spirit. I believe He wants to heal spiritually. I believe He wants to heal mentally. I believe He wants to heal physically today. 
Are you and I willing to confess? Are you and I willing to release? Because as we release others, God also will release us. I'm just going to ask Susan to come up to share a few words of knowledge that the prayer team have and perhaps some of these. The idea of these is that in Scripture it talks about us listening to God, that He may have a revelation for us. And perhaps some of these words echo and resonate with you and God is saying to you this morning that He has a special revelation for you. And the revelation God has for us is not to condemn us. The revelation he has for us is to release us into life. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, for where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Forget the former things. See, I am doing a new thing. When we don't know what to say, when the heaviness of our situation feels too much to bear, and we don't know the words to pray, Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Take heart, he has given you all that you need through his Spirit who's at work within you. Thank you. I think what we'll do, actually, is we're going to sing a song, but I think what we'll do is that we will go into a time of communion now. And um, in the midst of this communion, as we come up to the front and we receive uh, the bread, the broken body of Christ, we remember the price that Christ paid for us. We remember his blood poured out for us. And we remember, just as he has released us, we released others. And so as we receive, we also, with open hands, we release others. The prayer ministry team will be over the sides. If you want prayer for anything, perhaps prayer for physical healing, perhaps prayer where you want to have the prayer team pray God's blessing on someone whose, whose name or image is in your mind. You don't have to name them, just ask for people to stand with you and pray God's blessing on that person or that organization which has caused hurt. This is an opportunity for us to receive all the good things that God has for us. So I think rather than using the communion liturgy, we'll stand together. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer and I'm going to ask those who are going, actually, in fact, I think what we'll do is we'll just have everyone come up together and we'll have the band play afterwards and uh, the prayer team will go out and then we'll receive communion at the end for the band and the prayer team and the server. Shall we stand together?